Welcome to This Is Not About Your Body, a body neutrality podcast where we talk about all the real shit body image issues are actually about because they're never just about the way you look. I'm your host, Jesse Neeland, and today I have with me Lael Atkinson, who is a queer, non-binary, certified professional recovery coach with a focus on the intersection between alcohol and dieting. Lael, who, like me, uses they-them pronouns, has a new course called Beyond Shrinking and Drinking to educate and support people looking to address that overlap between their relationship to alcohol and their relationship to their weight. So welcome, Lael. Thank you so much, Jesse. It's great to be here. I followed yeah. you forever, so it's kind of surreal, but awesome. <laughs> <laughs> Fun. Um, okay, so I'm just going to have you start with the basics. Tell me a little bit about your own personal journey and what got you interested in this work and these topics. Okay. Um, let's see. And I I could go back really far, but I will, I will rein it in. So for me, um, my relationship with food and my body and with drinking um, is also pretty intertwined with my sexual identity. Um, as far as my, my whole story goes. So, um, I, my earliest, um, or my earlier handful of experiences, sexual experiences with women were always, um, uh, done while drinking and I kind of dismissed uh -huh. them as sort of, you know, a bit of tipsy fun. Uh -huh. And I also found a way to sort of safely incorporate them into my relationships with men because, um, you know, I think this is pretty common. Well, I think it's sort of common yeah. that um, it, it can be seen as a turn on. And so I, you know, also did that instead of recognizing that it, it was a valuable and important part of me at the time. And um, so eventually in my thirties, I got married to a really wonderful man and life was really good for a long time. And then over time, I slowly but surely my anxiety and depression started increasing. And I also noticed that my drinking was increasing so I kind of started to hunt around in my life for, you know, what could, what it could be. Was it my job? Was it, you know, this, that, or the other. And that is when, um, for the first time I really started looking at my disordered eating slash eating disorder, which mm -hmm. I hadn't really in the past. I'd kind of known it was there, but I'm like, go away, go away. Don't want to look at you. <clears throat> so, um, and then that journey, uh, after about a year of looking into that, it kind of led me full circle to my sexual identity. Mm. And, um, and that's when I ended up coming out as queer and, um, my marriage also ended and it was a really intense, not one of the hardest parts of my life. Mm. And, um, not too long after that, I, I was only going to take a break from drinking. It was never going to be forever. Um, I just, I was in such a state that it just, it didn't feel like it was a good idea for me. Some kind of self-preservation kicked in. And, um, then I started just slowly, but surely kind of learning all the things that a non-drinking life, um, you know, or sobriety, if you will, it's not just about the substance. It's about, you know, why you're using yeah. it, um, maybe learning other coping mechanisms and whatnot. And then after I'd been a non-drinker or sober for a while, I start, I returned and really started doing the digging in to heal my relationship with um, food and my body. Mm. So, and in kind of parallel, I think it's very common for a lot of us. I had already been enrolled in a, um, a course to become a holistic health coach. And then I ended up at the same time um, enrolling in a completely different course and taking them both in parallel um, to become a recovery coach. And could you, could you define a recovery coach? Cause I'm not sure uh, what exactly that term. Right. And um, uh, I have a little cheat sheet because it, what it's not is you're not a therapist, although it can feel therapeutic, sure. you know, so I, I really try and respect that line. Um, and I mean, for me, I, I work with folks mainly on, and originally it was only on if they want to examine their relationship with alcohol. And then eventually, because organically, as it did for me, I saw the overlap with so many folks mm -hmm. um, with food and body image. So um, I also, you know, did some certifications, did yeah. a lot of training and also help support folks in that. So um, I'm trying to think one of the ways that I've kind of heard, I mean, I've heard a lot of distinguishing dif um, differences or different ways to define it, but um, like a therapist does a lot of looking back and a coach mostly tries yeah. to look forward and just support you with where you want to go. And, yeah. you know, it's, I really, I work with a lot of folks that have both a therapist and a coach, which is a fantastic combination if you, if you can do it. Yeah. Yeah. You know, not okay. everybody can, but yeah. So I just want to say that one thing I really love about your approach to these topics is the non-stigmatizing 
lens that like we've only kind of been offered either you drink a bunch and that's fine for you or you're an alcoholic and you're forced to get sober um and you and and some other aspects of the like sort of recovery or sobriety movement i would say that i just feel so good to me is that you are basically just saying, Hey, you, you get to challenge question and re-examine your relationship to alcohol without being an alcoholic, without taking on a title or a label or having it be like a stigmatizing or pathologizing thing. I would love to hear you talk about why that distinction is so important. Um, well, for one thinking that you have to take on a label and, or that it has to be, um, have gotten so very, very bad in your life stops a lot of people from getting help. You know, they're like, they're waiting for well, it's not at this point yet. It's not at this point yet. And then that point can come very quickly. And then it's, I'm not saying it's, of course it's possible, but it's just, you've got, it's that much harder, you know, to, you're that much further. um, You have that much more to work on. So um, yeah, when it comes to both and it's just, it's, I mean, I'm, I appreciate 12 step programs, alcohol, economic anonymous and all that. Um, They've helped a lot of people. I am not anti AA by any means. And I also know it doesn't work for a whole lot of people. Yeah. So I'm so grateful that there are more and more, you know, programs, courses, teachers that are follow different methods, you know, and you yeah. can put kind of just, you know, figure out what works for you and pass on the rest and, you know, let everybody heal in their own way. Absolutely. Yeah. I really like, I think you just nailed what it is that I respond to in that way, which is like, everybody deserves to heal. You don't have to have hit the kind of sort of rock bottom that we imagine for someone, you know, taking on the label of alcoholic, which of course they, that can be redefined too. But uh, yeah, there's something so like kind and compassionate in the lens of we all deserve to heal no matter how much the thing is hurting us, Yeah. as opposed to you have to wait until it's hurting us so much it's debilitating before you're able to like stop in and look at it. Yeah. I mean, it's like, and I, I, I've heard this, um, I didn't come up with this example, but hopefully I'll get it right. But it's like, we don't tell people like, well, just wait until you have the heart attack, you know, and then we'll mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, like, totally. you know, maybe, maybe work on your heart health if there's indication, you know, too. Um, and I think we sometimes do the same, you know, with, with eating disorder stuff. It's like you, I mean, I'll use myself as an example in both with the, the drinking. I, I mean, I guess you could say I was, and I don't know, just for, folks who are listening, like, um, even on a medical level, we don't like, it's not alcoholic isn't even the term anymore. It's, I think it's, um, alcohol having alcohol use disorder and that's a spectrum, you know, which is also an important thing to recognize. But in my life, um, you know, it reached the point that I was easily drinking a wine was kind of my thing. I mean, I, I drank other things, but that was what I drank the most. And it was easily, you know, a bottle of wine a night, sometimes a little more, and I, you know, went to job, went to my job every day. I had a social life. I, I mean, in my group, I was, that was actually just kind of normal. Mm-hmm, <laughs> and, mm-hmm. um, and, and I, you know, was dealing with hangovers all the time. I, um, had, you know, would try to moderate and it was just, and it was, I could do it, but it was, it just made me miserable and kind of very similar to the dieting cycle. You know, I would plan like to only drink this much and that would go out the window and then I'd feel like shit about myself. Right. I mean, there really are similarities. And yeah. at the same time, um, and again, I'm only talking about myself because everybody has a different um, scenario, but I once, like at least once a year, I would, because there is alcoholism in my family, to use that word, um, which I just said isn't a word anymore. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> there is a history of issues with alcohol. Yeah, and yeah. um, so once a year, at least I would completely stop for a, a month just to keep myself in check and make sure I could. And I could, you know, yeah, absolutely yeah. hated it, you know, just counting the days until yeah. I could start drinking again, um, even though it was my choice. But um, so, yeah, just again, it, you know, I didn't, I was maybe on the lower end of the spectrum and still, it totally fucked with my life in so many ways, you know? Yeah. Also, yeah. I mean, going back to the the sort of place that came from, I see in body image and uh, disordered eating and relationship to food, I see it constantly where people feel like they're not bad enough. And I know this is in some ways just a protective trauma response, but it's also just the way we talk about these things as if like, if you don't look skeletal and are about to die, you're probably fine. You know, we ignore the fact that everything pretty much is a spectrum 
And then we invalidate anyone who says they're struggling if they're not bad enough. And then we blame people who wait until it gets bad enough to be like, how could you let this happen? Um, And I know one of the questions I have for you is like to talk about all the intersections between drinking and dieting. And this is immediately one of them. Mm -hmm. No, for sure. For sure. Yep. And you'll, you'll look at some, I mean, so with uh, the food and body image stuff, you'll, you know, the medical industrial complex, they're, they're some of the worst, you know, and I loved your, um, your episode with Dr. Asher Laramie, I think doctors aren't great titles, but you know, they'll, they'll look at folks just based on their body size and actually prescribe eating disorder behavior, you know, whereas in a, somebody in a smaller body size, they would, you know, not necessarily, they would go a different route. So that's just one example of many. Yeah. Also something in what you just said in, in terms of like taking a month away from alcohol, knowing that you're like counting down the days that also feels very like diety in the, Mm -hmm. the like willpower self-control idea of like, I'm okay if I can give this up for a month, but also every moment I'm thinking about how I want more. Yeah. Um, Actually that kind of leads into, so this was a, this was one of my questions that I was going to ask later, but now I just want to ask it is like, what do you see as the similarities in terms of willpower as an approach, because Mm -hmm. obviously in the world of food and body image stuff, it's like, just try harder to lose weight and you will. We know that that's all bullshit. All the research shows us that that's bullshit, but that's the cultural narrative around it. And around alcohol, it's kind of similar. I don't know. I mean, I I don't know. You've been in the space more in terms, is it willpower? Is that what they tell you to use? Like if you're trying to quit drinking? Yeah, just like try harder. Um, I mean, I'm sure there's that, there's absolutely that messaging. So as far as, I mean, there's definitely overlaps and there are ways that they are very importantly different. Mm. Um, so we absolutely need food to live. Pretty sure we do not need alcohol to live and alcohol is not only do we not need it to live, but it's, it is an addictive substance, you know, Mm -hmm. and because it's such a powerful and money-driven industry, Um, I mean, we are just surrounded by the messaging that, and I just, I want to pause and say that the former me of not that many years ago would have been like, I mean, I was just, I was so like a person, I was very in love with alcohol. I was very like anybody who doesn't drink is got to be the most boring person on the planet. I mean, so seeing this me, like I've done such a 180 about this stuff. And I also just want to really be clear that I don't judge anybody for drinking. I don't judge anybody for dieting. I just think we all have to be able to make informed choices and we can't make informed choices if we don't have like the full picture. Right. And with alcohol, we're just, we're like, we're told, um, I mean, sort of like my eyes were open to diet culture. They were open to alcohol culture. You know, we're, we're told we can't have fun without it. We can't, um, Mm -hmm. you know, bond and connect without it. We can't um, have sex without it, you know, and I mean, just so many things. And I bought all of those things hook, line and sinker. And that's and that's why, you know, I never planned to quit forever. I thought it would be this like really boring, yeah. hard life in so many ways. And um, so I'm I'm trying to get back, like make sure I'm answering your question. No, but- that's like, like that's a super uh, I mean, all of it is really interesting, but I think that's a super powerful point that you're not walking around saying everybody should be sober. Uh, You're saying, hey, we've been lied to and I want you to have all the information so that you can make the decision that's best for you. Yeah, And that is one of the things that I really feel aligned with Mm -hmm. uh, in terms of our work and our approach to these things because I also am not walking around being like, you should stop dieting. I'm saying, hey, we've been lied to and I want you to have all the information, right? Um, and, and it's so easy to put us into camps that are like pro something and against something rather mm-hmm. than just saying we all deserve the truth. Yeah. Can we get a little more nuanced and a little more truthful? Then anything you want to do with your body is up to you and I will not judge. For sure. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. And with those camps, it's like, let's remember to not be anti the people doing them. Let's be anti the, you know, institutions and people trying to sell us the stuff that, right. Yeah. 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 Anti like the pressure and obligation mm-hmm. rather than the choice itself. Absolutely. Cause that's full bodily yeah. autonomy and that's above everything, but you really can't make, I mean, I guess it's still autonomy, even if you don't have all the information, but it's certainly not the same kind of conscious choice making. Yep. yep. Yeah. Okay. Uh, the other, I'm sorry. No, go ahead. 
uh, the other distinction I'd make is that with alcohol, the, and I just want to, you know, keep coming back to it, it is a spectrum uh -huh. and, um, but the, the further, so speaking very generally, the further that you get away from it, the longer it's out of your system, the easier it gets. And with dieting, it's the opposite. The more Wait, you the try- The easier what gets, like your experience of sobriety? Well, the more the alcohol, like if you're trying to quit drinking, the longer it's out of your system, the longer you get away from, the oh, easier it gets. And with I dieting, see. it's the opposite. The more you restrict food, the harder it gets. Uh-huh. That's interesting. Yeah. But also the longer you have given up dieting, if you're gaining weight, the harder it gets on that side too. In that aspect of it, it definitely yeah. can. That's why you have to, which is, you know, why your and other people's work is so important. Like if the body image work, you can't not do that. Right. I mean, that's the only, well, tell me if you disagree. That's maybe not the only, but that's what, 98%? If food didn't impact our physical appearance, 98% of our issues with it would go away. Or a huge, mm, as far as, yeah, as, far yeah, as yeah. dieting stuff goes. And that's the only reason. I would say there's there's probably a lot of other reasons. I definitely wouldn't go that high for a percentage, but I would also be stabbing right. wildly in the dark. But I totally know what you mean. And I would say, yeah, I mean the majority for sure. Yeah, yeah. And that definitely, yeah, You, it, I would say similarly to recovery though. And again, tell me if you disagree, but like, yeah. how can you really go through a sobriety type of protocol without dealing with the shit that led you to your experience in the first place of using this thing like right. if you don't deal with the stuff underneath yeah how do you yep. stick to the thing that you're trying yeah. to do or heal exactly I think um you know kind of the two-pronged approach which which is one of the ones I learned is you want to be learning new and different coping mechanisms because we always need coping mechanisms yeah. life is just gonna life and then um at the same time we want to be addressing like you said the underlying things you know the traumas the yeah. the history the current just you know ongoing stuff yeah as much as we can processing our feelings which I know we all love to do <laughs> okay so are those the major distinctions then or are there any more distinctions that you can like see and want to draw people's attention to between drinking and dieting before we flip to similarities um oh okay so as far as differences um mm -hmm. Let's go to similarities. And then if, if more stuff comes to me about. Yeah, I mean, I think yeah. those those feel like just important to kind of uh, be aware of maybe for somebody who's looking at both spaces. So yeah. similarities. Yeah. Like, what do you see in your coaching practice, in your own experience? What's the overlap between drinking and dieting? Right. Can I refer to my handy little chart? Of course. <laughs> and stuff. we can talk about any of these, you know, I don't necessarily just want to go like breeze through them, but we've already talked about how um, a little bit, how they're both a coping mechanism. Could you say um, more about that before we go on? Yeah. Yeah, of course. Yeah. Um, I mean, alcohol is a coping mechanism in, I mean, a lot of the other ways on this list are, well, I'll just rein myself in, but um, it just, it does, it works as, you know, in the moment. It can just calm our nervous system, feel like it does. It doesn't last very long because that's why we have to continue drinking. But, um, and dieting, it works. I mean, it can give us a sense of control. Yeah. Um, that's one of the major ways. I mean, there, I think, yeah, your book goes into a lot of those ways. Um, so I actually think this might be an interesting distinction mm -hmm. if you agree then, which is that controlling food exercise and you know body stuff can yeah. function as a coping mechanism infinite ways yeah that's why sure. it's so hard and complex to nail down in the work that that I do with people but drinking I feel like obviously you can cope with an infinite number of things mm -hmm. but is the main coping strategy just numbing or is that are there other well I guess there's like fun yeah. yeah. Like how else do you see it functioning as a coping mechanism? Right. Well, it's funny because I, and I, I hadn't tied this together until just looking at it, but other things I list are like, they're both, so let's just go with drinking socially encouraged. They're both a bonding tool. So in a way you could say it is, uh, this is a huge one. It's a coping mechanism for social anxiety and dealing oh, with situations. Yes. Huge, 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 you know, and it offers so, you a sense of belonging both yep. do. Yeah. Sitting yep. around talking about your diet, especially yep. among you know, women identified people like that is absolutely a cure to social anxiety in the moment for a lot of folks yeah. as, as is a glass of wine. Yep. Yep. Interesting. Okay. Yeah. Other similarities. 
Um, let's see, I said they're socially encouraged. They're both a bonding tool. They both have lots of conflicting information and research um, on them. Uh, they both deplete your energy, your money, your life. Both- <laughs> <laughs> just that little one, just that yeah. that sort of subtle side note. Uh, wait, I want to go back and, and kind of look at each one. So uh, what was the one right before depleting all the things? Um, that they both have lots of conflicting information and research on the matter, on both of them. Okay. Can you say a little more about that? Because on my podcast and in all my content, I think people hear a lot about the conflicting research around like dieting and weight loss. I'd love to hear some thoughts on the drinking aspect. Um, Well, didn't you know, like red wine is good for your heart and or a a minimum amount of alcohol. I mean, that one is still swimming around. I am, I I would want to double check myself here, but I'm pretty sure that um, the most recent scientific research is that no amount of alcohol is genuinely safe for you. You know? Um, I mean, as far as it's, sorry, that, that sounds so dramatic. You're not going to have a drink and die, but our, our, it truly is a poison to our bodies. It is tied to so many cancers, um, influencing them and impacting them, um, including breast cancer. Um, so, you know, a lot of those, like the Susan, Komen, um, anyway, just any yeah, breast yeah. cancer, like, you know, drive that, you know, they're serving wine. It's just, it's kind of like, ah, oh, that's interesting. Yeah. Um, this is going to take you way out of your notes. So please bear with me. Okay. But I'm wondering about correlative research here because uh, obviously in the weight and diet space, uh, people reading data that is correlative and drawing causation out of it is like a yeah. huge source of angst for me. Um, But I I am wondering, because is it possible that a lot of the research showing some of these negative outcomes of drinking could be linked to the reason that person was drinking, you know, like higher stress, more trauma? Like, is there any research that shows it's causative or is it more like a correlation? Yeah. And this is where, honestly, I will... um... I feel like I would have to do some deep diving and get back to you. I don't want to, you know, talk about something. That that's fair. Yeah, I was just curious. No, no, no. But that that's an interesting point. Um, the the thing that comes to mind is that there's so much research, at, well, and funding for the opposite message. You know, I mean, the alcohol industry uh-huh. is huge, and okay. the lobbying, and the, I mean, it's it's just, yeah. Um, so the the. These studies, the fact that they even exist and that I, I think, yeah, I'll just stop there and I'll say, okay, let me look into it more, but yeah, that I'm makes pretty, sense. I mean, alcohol is, let me ask, let me yeah. kind of go in a totally different way. Would you ask that about cigarettes or cocaine or something else? Ooh, if they're correlative or causative. Nope, probably not. Yeah. Yep. Why not? I don't know. I guess I sort of take for granted that those things are bad, but I, I believe you like none of it is like, like, Oh, I don't think that's true. I just, it definitely occurred to me in a way around alcohol that it wouldn't have around those other substances. Yeah. And I mean, and I'm not the first to make this comparison, but maybe it's possible down the road. I mean, probably long after I'm dead and gone, but that, um, people will view, alcohol the way that we used to view that we view cigarettes now i mean when mm-hmm. you think about it, cigarettes used to be prescribed by doctors you know right right so yeah. yeah yeah okay well that's interesting and i do know so the first introductions that i had to some of these concepts was in the book sober curious by ruby warrington i think her name is right and alcohol lied to me but i completely forget that author's name um so those were two books that i read around the same time when i was like trying to learn about this stuff and for sure we can trace some of the money and the lobbying and the things to say we are being lied to with some of this positive messaging for sure yeah. so even if we can't say this negative messaging is causative definitely yeah it would probably be more an issue of because there's not a lot of funding for that research because that goes against you know, like the corporations who people don't do research to find out stuff that's good for us and cost them money. So I think either way we can acknowledge like money is influencing the mainstream message for sure. And that's suspicious at the very least. Right. Right. Yeah. One one of the books that I recommend the most, as far as just, they do a really good and very non like preachy job of just breaking down or, you know, like why the reasons that most of us, um, that come to mind when we think of, you know, alcohol is fun. Alcohol helps us sleep. Mm-hmm. Alcohol does it. And it's, it's Anna Grace's book. Um, cause she has more than one. Her first book, I think this naked, this naked mind. Um, uh, yeah, yeah. Just, 
it just and it, it does a really nice job of breaking down you know each each one and and questioning it you know yeah okay so I just want to own mm-hmm. for anyone listening if you haven't read these books and haven't come across this information I encourage you to prepare yourself to have like some some of the fabric of reality ripped out from underneath you in a way that's a bit unpleasant exactly like learning about how diets don't work and we've been lied to there um I was pissed I was pissed for like all of the books because it was all in the same like month I was sober for a month I was exploring this whole idea and I was so mad but I wasn't mad at like the people who lied to me initially I was mad at the authors because how dare they (laughs) Like it brought up a lot of defensiveness to read some of the stats on things like if you actually tune in with the somatic sensation, you feel the euphoria of a drink for about 20 minutes. And after that, once it starts to get metabolized out, you start to feel more anxious or agitated. And I'm reading it like, no, I don't. I feel great. Like, how dare you? And it took a lot of, I will say, like humility to start to start owning. Oh, actually, that's not. That's true. You know, the idea of like having a glass of wine before bed helps you sleep. Well, does it? Mm -hmm. Right. It may knock you out initially, but it, as far as your actual sleep quality. Yeah. Cause that's, there is science to disprove a lot of those fun, positive myths. Yeah. And uh, yeah, I mean, what you're saying here, it makes a lot of sense. And I, I certainly have my own reactions to it. (laughs) Yeah. Well, I don't know if this will make you feel any better, but you know how Amazon saves your, you know, entire history of everything you've ever ordered. Mm -hmm. I, so when I was taking that break that ended up being like till now still going, um, to not drink, I, um, ordered a bunch of, you know, all the books, which many people do. And Amazon was like, you've already ordered that book. You've already ordered that book. I'd ordered these things when I was still drinking and had no fucking memory. Oh my gosh. But quite a few of them. So part of me. That's part of me, so you know, when interesting. I was drinking and very committed to it, there was already like yeah. some part of me that was like, well, maybe I should, you know, and then I probably yeah. just, yeah. Someone was in there flagging and tracking. Uh-huh. You know, I was also going to say, because if you're taking off a month every year just to see if you can, like something is off. You know, I mean, that just shows right there that there's like a flag has been planted mm-hmm. and that part of you deserves attention. Right, right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And okay. I would say just to counter the, me- like, to me, that, that that's a flag that the thing that was off wasn't my taking a break. It was my drinking, you know? Well, that's what I mean. Yeah. I mean that some part of your intuition understood that there was something that needed your attention, which was to, right. you know, re-examine your relationship with alcohol yeah. or else you wouldn't have felt the need every year to be like, can I still go without it? You know, like that, that just, yeah. that feels like a little bit of, um, like your intuition begging to be heard in yep. some way or or like ordering the books, you know? Right. Right. Yep. Um, okay. I would love to hear if you have any of these examples or stats handy, what do you think? And we can go back to the similarities if you prefer, but I'd love to hear like, what do you think people don't know or are wrong about when it comes to alcohol? Like some of these examples of you have more fun, except actually you you know, mm-hmm. that's not what the research says, or you sleep yeah. better, but actually that's not what the research says. Sure. So, um, okay. So, and speaking from both my own experience and I've heard a lot of other folks talk about this too, as far as having more fun. So what I discovered is I'd go to a thing that I used to think was fun and I'm not drinking. And all of a sudden I'm like, this isn't fun in the slightest bit. So uh-huh. what it did, it didn't make things fun. It made things that weren't fun, tolerable. Ooh. It made it tricked me into thinking they were fun. So sure. all of a sudden it gave me license or like the glasses, I should say, to be like, that's not fun. And I don't have to do it. I don't have to uh-huh. get through it with alcohol. I just don't have to do it at all. You know, I mean, something you can't, some things you have to. And sure. But yeah. That's such a great example. And I think people will definitely relate to having those experiences it, well, those of those of us who still drink perhaps uh, would relate because I know I can immediately think of times where I'm like, oh, I really don't want to go to that, but at least there'll be wine yep. or something. Right. And if I wasn't drinking, I would be a little bit more forced to be honest about that first thought. I really don't want to go with that, go yeah. to that on its own. And that yep. that feels like a cool um, sort of uh opposite of self-abandonment-y thing. I'm not sure what mm-hmm. I want to call that, but that's cool. Yeah. Yeah. Keep um, going. Another, keep going. Yeah. <laughs> what else? <laughs> another one is the the connection we feel. And I'm an introvert. I am, once I get to know folks, I can, I think I 
hopefully really open up, but that the initial part can be really tough for me. So alcohol really did. That was one of my, you know, big draws towards it. It just, it felt, and it did. I mean, to, let's be fair. It does work, you know, in a lot of these yeah. ways, but it felt like it helped me make that connection. But when I stopped drinking, it was just, it was in, I could step back and realize I could still make that connection. And I don't know if you've ever like been not drinking around somebody who's drinking, but at some point, like you're connecting, you're connecting. And then at some point when the alcohol is kicked into a certain amount, we, and I, I'm, I'm saying they, but all of us, you know, we start repeating mm -hmm. ourselves. We start, mm -hmm. we're really in our own little bubble. We're not yeah. connecting anymore. Even if we're 100%. both literally, we're both physically there. We're both saying words. We're kind of in our own head, you know? Yeah. And, yeah. Uh, I have experienced I mean, of course, I feel like we all have, especially if you just think of like the exaggerated, like drunk person bothering you at a party or so, you know, there's like the really obvious examples of totally disconnected, but then yeah. even, even the moments that feel a little more intimate, I would also add, and I know everybody's experience with like memory and alcohol is different, mm. but it definitely is harder to hold onto or reflect on the intimacy that may have been sort of fostered through alcohol which yeah. means it doesn't have the same impact right like it doesn't doesn't nourish us the same way when you wake up and go I feel like we talked about all sorts of deep stuff yeah yeah, yeah. yep or you one of you remembers like something and the other doesn't it's a, that can feel oh like kind of terrible. yeah so disconnected yeah yeah very true one what Sleep else you got definitely definitely um like I I think I have my sleep hygiene down, you know, all the practices. Uh -huh. And even so, um, it can be a challenge sometimes, but sometimes that's just the way it is. Sometimes there are things, other things you can, you know, that means you have to look at, you know, and that things you can do. But um, I know like, I mean, alcohol just, I used to be like a whirling dervish, you know, when it came to just the sheets would be everywhere. I'd be like, ah! mm. just like moving all night long. And it was from, from having alcohol before going to bed. And is that, do you know, I remember when I was reading it, it seemed like it, that's the withdrawal period, right? Mm -hmm. Which we don't usually think of alcohol withdrawal unless we're thinking about like someone who's- Detox or- Yeah. 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 But that yeah. is every time you drink, you have to go through a withdrawal period. And there are symptoms that go with that, including insomnia and yep. stuff, body temperature yep. regulation things. Right, right. Blood sugar things. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Anything that we haven't gotten to yet that feels like- Maybe a myth that people carry or one of these positive like alcohol offers us this, but actually maybe it doesn't if you get really honest. Was there anything that comes to mind that you think of that that we haven't talked about? Honestly, all of this feels like really resonant and yeah. true, but um, no, there's nothing like in mind. I just... I guess the sex thing you mentioned before definitely is something that I, I talk to clients about a lot. Mm-hmm. Because when you are calling upon substances to get in the mood, yeah, you are not in the mood. Right. And there right. is a lot for, especially for folks who feel like they should have more sex with their partner or they're obligated to, or, yeah. you know, whatever it might be that's coming up. Um, and a lot of times that interacts with body image stuff. Oh, There's definitely sure. like, yeah. And when you really get honest too, I mean, it might make you more available in some ways by decreasing anxiety or something like that. Mm-hmm but it doesn't lead to better sex Yeah, for, there, for most people. There's so many layers there. Like you said, it, the body image stuff, it could be sexual identity stuff. It could be trauma stuff. I mean, yeah. oof, intimate. Yeah. I mean, there's so many layers to that one. Yeah. And I know for me, there certainly is an increased, well, I guess it's like, so I still drink just to be clear. So yeah. it may be a decreased inhibition that would put me in a more sexual position. So I can acknowledge that that part may sort of fit the myth, yeah. but uh, in terms of actually having like that felt a lot more impactful when I couldn't access sexual pleasure for myself, mm -hmm. because it's not like I was missing out on sexual pleasure because of the alcohol, because it wasn't there anyway, yeah. but now I can. And the difference is huge, right? Like I don't want a half dumb sexual experience anymore. And I know that that's what alcohol leads to. So it definitely yeah. makes a difference. I think when you're able to access embodied pleasure mm -hmm. and then alcohol might make you be in the situation, but you, that disappears pretty quickly. Right. Right. Yep. 
and you know we know this like in terms of the the cultural thing around guys it's like whiskey dick or whatever like we can acknowledge Mm -hmm. that it impacts it that way but outside of that the narrative is still it makes sex way better unless this one thing happens like it doesn't talk about the reality of it yep no definitely creativity would be another one you know thinking that it fuels creativity and that um and you kind of have that romanticized image of you know the writer or the singer that's true yeah 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 creativity that's an i've never thought about that one Mm -hmm. Um, and that you lose it like i i knew a lot of including my ex-husband uh musicians that you know um and so i witnessed firsthand that you know folks giving up drinking and that did not affect their creativity it actually made it you know even more stronger yeah. yeah. And that just makes sense to me. I guess I, I haven't had that like particular myth bounce around for too much of my life mm-hmm. other than, yeah, like the the famous writers. But they were also doing cocaine. And I mean, you know, whatever. Yeah. Like that yeah. definitely exists. Yeah. OK, so if we go back similarities between drinking and dieting, because this is your intersection. Have we missed any major connecting pieces for like maybe not even just what they have in common, although I'm happy to hear more about that as well. Yeah. But like, how do they inter interlap? That's not a word. You know what intersect, I'm trying to say? Intersect, yeah. thank or you. Or overlap. overlap oh, yes, all of those things. Yeah, yeah. Um, oh, I mean, it's going to depend on the individual, how it, you know, shows up exactly. But, um, and, you know, including the like chicken egg, which started first and whatnot. But um, I think I... I'll speak from my own experience and which I know is not uncommon, just how they fuel each other. Like I'm just going to pick a spot to begin because yeah, yeah. it could begin at any of the, the part on the cycle, but you know, you um, are only going to drink. So let's say you're drinking, but you're trying to moderate or something. So you're only going to drink a certain amount and then you quote unquote blow it. You drink more than you meant to. You're hung over the next day. You feel like shit. You're also trying to diet at the same time, but you feel terrible. So you're going to eat all the greasy stuff because you're trying to absorb the mm-hmm. alcohol because mm-hmm. that does, you know, help. And then you've also blown your diet. So you like feel doubly like shit about yourself. And then yeah. you're going to start all over again tomorrow with both of them. I mean, they just, you know, and alcohol also like it can, as far as, you know, being a coping mechanism, if you feel like shit about your body, you know, on any level, whether it's, you know, how it looks, your sexual identity, confusion about that. I mean, it definitely can make you want to check out, you know, yeah. or numb out, um, feel better. So basically shame creates both coping mechanism. Well, it doesn't create them, but it, 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 uh, definitely makes you more vulnerable to these coping mechanisms, mm-hmm. either body control stuff or, you know, substance stuff. And then both of these mechanisms lead to more shame. So you are in a hamster wheel. Right. And in your experience, how many people like get off one hamster wheel and walk over to the other hamster wheel or are just on both simultaneously? Like how often is that overlap super direct in terms of timing and everything? Yep. And um, I'm going to get to that in one second. I just want to forget that anxiety is also both, they both People reach for them both to deal with anxiety, but they actually both fuel anxiety. You know, our bodies get super stressed when we're depriving them in any way of food. And then they, alcohol actually contributes to anxiety in the long term. you know? So just wanted to make sure to mention that. Um, Yeah. So shame and anxiety and you get caught in the cycle mm -hmm. and it changes your behaviors and your choices. So Mm -hmm. yeah, there's a lot in that as well that, um, Okay, I'm 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 going so many different directions because I have a million questions, but I want I want to let you talk about the timing and the overlap that way. Yeah. Um you know, I really it depends on the the individual. Um I know that I just as far as like chrono chron, chronologically, um I my food and body stuff started first um because I was pretty young. I was I was bullied for my weight and then that started like weight cycle well, dieting and weight cycling. Um, and then I, I also started drinking a little later than a lot of folks. Um, I mean, in college, but yeah, some folks, you know, a lot of folks start earlier than that. I just partly didn't have access, (laughs) but, um, so, and then they just fueled one another. And then I also, you know, cigarettes entered the picture, which, you know, Mm. both as a coping mechanism, but also I huge, I very much use that as, you know, uh, um, to keep my weight down, uh, trying to Ah, to eat less. Yep. Um, so I mean, I've seen, I've seen all scenarios, you know, some folks I've seen quit drinking and they've, they've never had any issues. I mean, it's pretty rare, honestly, especially if you're socialized as, as female. Um, but, uh, yeah. 
there can be a person that they've never really had any food or body image. And then all of a sudden they quit drinking and they're maybe just things may change, you know, or maybe they become aware of them in a way they weren't because drinking was helping them check out of everything, including that. Yeah. So I would say in my coaching practice, I have seen both. Well, I've seen all variety really, but like on the two extreme sides, I have seen people who quit drinking and developed food and body anxiety. Mm-hmm. And I've p- seen people who healed from, you know, sort of found body neutrality or healed from dieting world and uh, basically took up <laughs> alcohol as a replacement in terms of yeah. like the self-soothing. And it absolutely is fascinating and and at least it's really clear in those examples because we can just call out what's going on. Like you you traded you mm-hmm. you traded coping mechanisms. That's exactly what happened. There's no need right. for this big judgment around it. Um, it makes total sense. It just means we haven't yet gotten to the thing underneath both, right? Yeah. But I think for a lot of people, because they coexist, there becomes a question of like, is one leading to the other? Do you have? I mean, do you recommend people try to recover from both at the same time? Um. That would be intense, but also I could see the value in it if someone was really like. Yeah. I got to address this shit. I do. Not exactly, but maybe close because I just know that the thing, there are things that learning alternative coping mechanisms is going to support both of them, right? Learning right, right. practices and tools that help you stay grounded is going to support both of them. Um, I also know that myself, I was not ready. Like I definitely, I was, well, again, I wasn't ever going to quit drinking for good, but when I did sort of make that like, let's see, let's keep going with this, you know, for all intents and purposes decision. Um, that's really, I, that's, and I think it is wise to only focus on the one thing, you know, at a time. And then eventually, um, that can actually really help, you know, support the other one. Um, and one thing I just rewinding, I want to make sure to, to call out because it is one of the most common things um, or very common to see in recovery circles where, you know, folks have quit drinking. They make, and I put this on my course, you know, hopefully like all all over the place, but they make the comparison that, oh, they think they quit drinking and now they're addicted to food or sugar, you know? And I'm like, and I want to say, no, 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 no. That's, that's, that's why, you know, it's no, the comparison isn't alcohol and food, it's drinking and dieting, right? Uh-huh. Yeah. And, um, and I, I, I know not everybody agrees with this, but I do not believe you can be, you know, and anyway, that, that's a whole, no, finish it, there. finish it. Yeah. I do not believe you can be addicted to something you need to keep you alive. I don't think you can be addicted to food or sugar, you know, form of food. I think it can feel, I don't want to dismiss, like, I think it can feel very yeah. addictive and yeah. there are reasons for that, but true addiction in no. I'm sorry. That's my stance. So, so I appreciate you sharing that. I know that's controversial and there will be people listening. Like you don't know me, I'm addicted. Right. So to that, I just want to say both of us are holding space for the fact that you get to decide it's your body, it's your experience. And this is one of those areas where we've been lied to Mm -hmm. because a lot of what we're taught around food addiction is based on the model that you can or should be restricting or aren't restricting when you actually are in in ways that aren't quite as obvious and restricting leads to eating more. Mm-hmm. So that feeling is based in deprivation m- most of the time, yep. but it gets pathologized really easily because we live in a world of diet culture. Yeah. Yep. So yes, that is a complex topic and I totally hear where you're coming from. Yeah. And deprivation of food also like it makes the reward value of food when we do eat it so much more intense. So, which yeah. is another reason that it is very understandable that I, I experienced that I felt addicted, you know, I experienced just like behavior that I engaged in that made no sense to me. And I was so ashamed of, yeah. you know, and thank you. Yeah. Could you tell us what reward value means? Cause I think that's a really cool concept. Well, Okay, so just an uh, um, example that most of us is, have experienced, no matter what our situation with our, you know, food or our bodies, like just say you've, you know, for whatever reason, um, not had a chance to eat, you know, for longer, much longer than normal. And then you finally do food tastes so much fucking better. So yeah. when you're constantly depriving yourself, you know, or of like all food or especially certain foods, and then you finally do have it, it literally just tastes so much yeah. more, you know, I mean, in a way it's kind of a, 
and I'm, this is by no means a reason to not like quit dieting, but it's like, it's one of the like, eh, that's kind of a bummer things when you finally yes. do like just, yes. you know, return to not restricting. Oh. It's like, okay, oh, so. Man. Food tastes better when you're hungry. It's really very clever of the body. It's like, let me make you think about food and like food more when you need food. Very, yeah. very straightforward. However, the deprivation or restriction cycle sets us up to get like a, a way bigger and inappropriate burst of that basically every time mm -hmm. we eat, which makes us start to think, okay, so food is supposed to be this good. And when I just eat a normal amount every day, it doesn't taste that good. And I feel like this is actually somewhere that I draw a lot of parallels to recovery in mm -hmm. my clients. And I'll say like, if you've done heroin and get sober, yeah. nothing is probably ever going to feel that good. And yep. there is a very weird and uncomfortable space you have to hold gently for yourself mm -hmm. that going on a little walk and calling your friend is not going to feel that good because it was an yeah. inappropriate amount of good. Yeah. And you can choose to sit in your choices and your values, whatever that looks like, and still grieve the loss of the thing <laughs> that was so pleasurable. And yeah. it's the same when people are breaking this cycle is it is not a reason to change or, or to like refuse to recover or whatever, but it is something that often requires some grieving and holding of weirdness. No, absolutely. Yeah. And same, yeah. same, I think with, um, quitting drinking. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. There are aspects. I mean, everything we do, we have a good fucking reason for doing it. It Rich. just doesn't, it just doesn't mean it's something that we want to keep doing once we have, you know, all the information yeah. and yeah. Or we may. So something that's coming up as you talk about this is I often see as well, uh, a reason for giving up drinking that is sort of like out of what we're talking about because it's it's sort of the the like negative version of all of this, the shadow side of all of this. People who don't drink so that they can lose weight. Or even I would say some people uh, that I've talked to feel like they would love to drink but can't because of the calories or whatever. How do you hold that in recovery and the work that you do? Let's see. I'm, they may be the same, but I'm, I'm going to try and... I want to look at them separately. Um, well, and I think you and I, when we spoke, you know, in preparation for this, we, you briefly brought up like the term, which is a terrible term. And I don't think it's officially in the DSM, but it does exist. The the term drunkorexia. Yeah, and yeah. both of us were like, oh, that thing everybody does in college, you know, or that, I mean, yeah, I've known about it forever without knowing what it was called or that it had a name, but saving your your food calories and instead, so you could, you know, put them all into the alcohol. Quote unquote, spend them on alcohol. Yeah. Right. Right. Um, let's see, but well, I mean, when it comes to somebody, is somebody going to lose weight if they stop drinking? It's just like anything, maybe yes, maybe no, you know, maybe they lose weight, maybe they gain weight, maybe they stay the same, you know, just as like, yeah. I don't want to compare, I don't want to necessarily compare it to intuitive eating, but just like with intuitive, you just don't know. All bodies are different. And I think, yeah. not I think, I've seen people experience all of it. Um, I don't know if I've, personally, I, and I'm not saying they don't exist. I've never met anybody that quit drinking only for that reason. Oh, um, I know a lot. <laughs> oh, really? Interesting. Or not okay. necessarily quit drinking in the same way that we're talking about, like sobriety yeah. and having looked at the deeper stuff. Just literally, like they have a ban on it. Like they that they, was their motivation. Don't eat white carbs and they don't drink. Oh, but you know what I mean? It, like it. that it's a food rule. Yeah. Got and it. so it sort of sits in this space of like, well, I suppose that could be a good thing, but it's actually not coming from the place it would need to to truly be a self care act. It's coming right. from this other thing. Right. Right. Yep. And then and I, you, yeah, go ahead. You, you posed another related question, but it was slightly different. Was it about the moving food calories to alcohol calories? I mean, I think I'm just, I, I guess what I'm sitting with and like curious about here is what do you do when a person's already not drinking, but their relationship to the whole thing is like still not coming from a place of like genuine self-care healing and sobriety uh you know it, it's just one more food rule which i guess would just point yeah. you back toward dealing with your relationship to food probably and body and maybe isn't that complicated but yeah i definitely see that come up right um, or if somebody is drinking that it's like part of this whole tracking system like i mm. can't have dessert so i can have a glass of wine um yeah i think that there's there's just like such a complex way that alcohol can get worked in 
mm-hmm. that is separate from I use alcohol to cope and I love it. Yeah. It's like this is already mired in baggage, you know? Mm-hmm. No, for sure. Yeah. Okay. Uh, before we wrap up here, I really want to hear about your course. And I've like got a million questions I didn't get to. So um, mm-hmm. I just want to start by asking like, what does the work look like for a listener who's hearing all this and is like, yes, I experience both camps. I sit at that intersection. What do I do? Um, I know that your course obviously offers like a more in-depth version of what that looks like, but I'd love to just hear anywhere that you think they should start or any idea for like what that work might look like for them if they wanted right. to move forward. Yep. Um, let's see, I'll do my best. So when I, cause I also do one-on-one coaching when I do, when I work with folks one-on-one, I may grab from a lot of the same, you know, tools and exercises and whatnot, but I don't, I don't have an, like a cookie cut, like yeah, a, yeah. one a approach formula. that I, because it's so individualistic, you know, totally. so I really have to find out a person's history, where they're at, what their, you know, major barriers are, um, all of that stuff. And then we continue adjusting as we go along. So um, when it came, when it comes to the course, um, what, what my hope is, is that I took, um, I took knowledge and resources that I myself have, you know, learned over a long period of time and also a condensed period of time. Cause I kind of, you know, dove in both yeah. personally and professionally to all of it and, um, put those together in what I hope is a cohesive way. Um, cause I, I think, you know, knowledge and awareness is such a big part of it. I don't think it's all of it. And I'm somebody, I, I used to live in my head a lot more. And then I found out that that just things don't move enough, you know, when it's, right, you yeah. just stay there. But um, I, I think that's a necessary part of it. It's just not sufficient. So um, helping people understand both on an individual level and hopefully in a way that really helps them um, get rid of a lot of shame. I know that l- when yeah. I learned things and just how like a human body interacts with alcohol or a human body interacts when it is deprived of food, I was like, okay, I'm not broken and defective. Yeah, like. Yeah. my body's actually working exactly the way it's supposed to. That was such a huge like shame buster. Yeah. So um, I'm hoping that that, you know, any folks, anything that folks learn um, that can help with that. Um, And then going from there to at some point, um, and I'm not saying nobody's obligated to do this, but it, it can also be a motivator for a lot of us that once we're healed, you know, to a certain extent on an individual level, we branch out and, you know, really, start working on the, you know, helping others like engage in the work of healing on a collective level. Yeah. Um, Cause so, you know, this is all tied together. So this is, this is personal liberation work and like all personal liberation work, the hope would be that once you start to free up the resources internally and see through some of the like curtains of lies that we've been offered it, I mean, it just often is true that you start leaning into collective liberation yeah. naturally um, and you're also a person in your sphere of influence who will be just there influencing, like by existing and going through the journey. So in yeah. that way, it's already a move towards collective liberation. Um, but I want I wanted to address. So what I was hearing in the way you talk about it, because so much of it is education based, you're giving people the resources, the tools, the practices, the information that they, they don't maybe have yet, um, that your course, it almost sounds like is for people who are sitting at this intersection and judging the shit out of themselves for it. Mm-hmm. Like step one is to learn, hey, this is happening for a reason. Yep. And in in this case, because it's more complex, because there's two completely different things happening, mm-hmm. it's two reasons. I mean, it's many reasons, but it's like there's two totally distinct reasons. Mm-hmm. By offering that level of like information and and support you're inviting someone to be able for the first time I think to get curious to tune in and basically be like what actually do I want to do about this mm-hmm. right so if somebody were coming to your course from that place would you say that they like had to at the end be I don't know yeah is it prescriptive do you feel like this would be welcome for anyone who's just questioning oh absolutely yeah yeah okay yeah. yep yeah I, I just yeah. Again, it's like, we all get to, you know, absolutely decide what to do with our lives, with our bodies. And 
we're the better informed we are about how it all works the better yeah. we'll actually be able to make the decision that works for us that aligns with our values that yeah 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 i think that's so important and like what you said about um alcoholics anonymous and other 12 step programs like that thank god we have stuff that you know we have so many things and ways and tools and yep. support systems because different stuff is going to work for different people 100%. and everyone needs a different kind of support and i feel like this is such an under uh resourced area because it's the people who are sitting there going well, I'm not going to spend all this money on a course that makes me stop drinking. I don't even know if that's what I want yet. Yep. You know, I hear you. I never planned to. I'm still. Yeah. Like, what, how'd that happen? <laughs> yeah. Whereas really inviting someone into like, would you like to see behind the curtain? Mm -hmm. Here are some things maybe you didn't know to help you explore these relationships and everything beyond that is up to you. That feels really important for like a stage that a lot of people wouldn't necessarily be thinking to reach out for help in. Yep. Yep. Yeah. And I also, I certainly do not know all the things about all of, you know, so I, I include, and I will continue adding like tons and tons of resources, you know, as, as I told you, your book is in there. Um, your podcast is in there and just, there are so many voices that I just want to like, I just want to be the pointing to, you know, yeah, person like, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, because the more of us, the, the more voices people hear, um, talking about all of this, the better, I think. Yes. And because different people are going to resonate with different, you know, different voices. So totally. Okay. So what would be one thing you would want people to take away from this episode? Hmm. Um, when it, okay. So when it came to not expect to go there, but, um, when it came <laughs> to both really honestly exploring my sexual identity when it came to really honestly exploring my food and body image issues when it came to really honestly exploring my drinking the only way I could do it was telling myself like you just have to, you're just you're just looking you're just gathering information yes you don't have to like I had to take that the only way I could do any of those things was just like it's always going to be up to me yes to, what the next step will be. And I can always retract, retract, you know, I just, yes. I needed that breathing room. I needed the, um, like constant reminder that I was always the one calling the shots. And I would just remind everybody that it is a hundred percent up to you, no matter what you just, you get to gather the information and you don't have to label yourself in any way. You don't have to yeah. do it in a, hopefully it's going to be the opposite of like, you'll lose shame, you know, through the yeah. process. Um, you can like, I think community is such a huge aspect. And at some point when the course has been rolling long enough and folks express interest, I, I'm going to create a community in some way. But in the meantime, you know, even just one person, if you can, you know, find somebody to to be in your corner and just yeah. tell the stuff and on the the kind of, I don't know if it's the flip side of that exactly, but you you get it like, if it feels like you get to protect yourself, you know, you get to like not share any of what you're working on with anybody if you don't want to, especially if they're not people that yeah. are going to get it or encourage you, you know, maybe yeah. the opposite. So you're in charge. That's what I want people to remember. I love that. I think that's what I was trying to say about like, this is so needed is something that allows you to explore safely without feeling like your agency or autonomy are being um, overstepped by someone who's a zealot in one direction or the other. And this is such powerful medicine, honestly. And I love that. So thank you. Um, tell the listeners where they can find you, where they can find the course. Yeah. Um, let's see. So, and will you link to it in the notes? Cause yep, it's, in it's the kind show of notes. a mouthful. <laughs> sure. Yeah, of course. It's bleh. If you, the URL will change cause I have it redirected, but if you put in beyond shrinking and spell out a and D beyond shrinking and drinking all mashed together.com, it will redirect you to the course landing page. Um, and that'll kind of give you a description of it. You can, you know, purchase and roll if, if you're called to. Um, and then in my bio on there, um, you can either, it'll click to my personal coaching website, um, which is also just my name, laelatkinson.com. Um, what else? I feel like I'm forgetting something. Do you have oh, social media presence? I just, yes, I just started. I'm so bad at, so, um, I just started, so they're like, maybe two followers. So please, please follow. Um, <laughs> I mean, only, only in the sense of like, if in case I share any useful information, yeah, yeah. I, don't, I don't care about like the, yeah. Um, so it's uh, beyond shrinking and drinking at beyond shrinking and drinking. Yeah. Okay. Very cool. Thank yeah. you for being here. Lail. I so feel much. like this conversation is so powerful and needed. And I really love the 
the liberating lens we didn't even get into uh, we wanted to, I wanted to ask about systems of oppression how that plays a role in everything but there's so much here it's Next such slide. a complex topic yeah um so thank you for being here and to listeners uh, thank you for listening, and I'll catch you next episode. Hey, everyone. I'm Jesse Neeland, and I want to take a moment to thank you for listening to this episode of the This Is Not About Your Body podcast. I put out new episodes every Tuesday, so be sure to subscribe so that you don't miss it. And if you really enjoyed it, please go ahead and leave me a review. Um, also, if you're looking for more information about body neutrality or you want to work with me, you can find me at my website, jessienealing.com, or you can just purchase my book, Body Neutral, A Revolutionary Guide to Overcoming Body Image Issues, wherever you buy books, ebooks, or audiobooks. We can also connect on Instagram or TikTok. My handle is jessienealand. And because I make this uh, podcast available for free and without any sponsors or ads, you can also feel free to show your support using the Patreon link in the show notes and know that your support, if you decide to uh, participate, is always very much appreciated. Lastly, thank you to my brother, Jason Neeland, for creating the music that plays at the beginning of the show. And thank you for listening, learning, and moving toward personal and collective body liberation. <laughs> <laughs>